How's everybody doing today? Wow, what a great job by our musicians and singers today. Didn't they do a terrific job? Amen. Amen. They almost inspired me to sing the old song, Sweet Holy Spirit. How many of you remember that one? Sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we... Without a doubt, we shall leave this place. That's right. That's a good one. You, we used to sing that one a lot around my church where I grew up. I'm so thankful that the sweet Holy Spirit of God is with us every day that we live. Amen. Give the Lord praise in the house this morning. Just say thank you for his many blessings. Bill, if you will, give me just a little bit of volume in the monitors today, and I would certainly appreciate it. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 15, and hold those Bibles open throughout the message today, because we're going to refer back to it a few times. <coughs> today, I want to talk to you for a little bit about a subject that I have entitled, Melancholy moments. How many of you have ever felt melancholy? How many of you don't even know what melancholy means? Melancholy. It used to be a pretty, uh, a word that we used to use pretty consistently uh, when I was younger that had to do with those kind of people that just feel a little bit laid back and mellow. It was like Olivia Newton-John used to sing, Have You Never Been Mellow? And we kind of got into that mindset that melancholy moments are those moments of just feeling kind of mellow. That's not really what it means. It's not really what it is talking about. I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 15. And as we read this, I want you to think in terms of your life and has there ever been a time when you felt like that God was helping you to be very productive. I mean, things were going well. You had an assignment from Him and you felt like that He was helping you to accomplish the task. And then all of a sudden something came over you that caused you to get discouraged with that task. And you felt tired and you felt exhausted and you felt like, I don't even want to do this anymore. Well, such was the case with Nehemiah in chapter 4. God had given him a task. We're going to read about it. And the people that were working with him got about halfway finished with the job. And then they started feeling these melancholy moments where they got discouraged and tired and exhausted and they didn't want to work anymore. They didn't want to do what God had assigned them to do. So I want us to pray first and then we're going to read this passage of Scripture with that in mind. Will you join me and let's pray. Father, I have really been looking forward to this day today when we could come together and worship you and and also to receive from your word. I'm convinced that your word is the key to our victory. 
we can carry it with us every moment of every day. We can't carry these singers with us all the time and the musicians. There are times that we gather and we corporately worship. There are times that we may put praise and worship on our radios at home or in our car. But the Word of God is something that stays with us all the time. And so I am truly grateful for your Word. And I pray that you'll help me to preach effectively today, to say what you've laid upon my heart and do it in such a way that we can receive it and then apply it to our lives and that we will be stronger for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Beginning at verse 6 in Nehemiah verse 4, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But... When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble, and by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Sounds like a melancholy moment to me. And our enemy said, they will not know or see. Until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. In other words, what they're saying is, you need to give up and come home. You need to just leave what you've been doing and come back home to the family. You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans or families with their swords, with their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, the one who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. What a powerful story of what it is like to receive an assignment from God to get started and to do it and then to feel melancholy about it about halfway through and then have to pray your way out of that melancholy spirit and come back to a place where you're ready to return to the wall and return to work. I believe this is where our church is right now. I believe the message that I'm going to preach today is prophetic in nature, 
in that I believe that for 12 years we've been rebuilding the wall that the enemy had destroyed. And if we're not careful, we will fall into a melancholy spirit and get tired of doing what we've always had to do in order to bring restoration. But this is not the time to quit. It is not the time to give up and go home. It is the time to find our way back to the wall and to start working again knowing that if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Now, melancholy is something that was introduced into society many, many years ago. In fact, in the medieval times, they started talking about this idea of melancholy. So melancholy, by definition, definition is beyond sad. It's not just sad, but it is beyond sad. It's going beyond what we would describe as uh, sad. And it is a noun or an adjective, and it's a word that describes the gloomiest of spirits. It's like the carpenters used to sing about rainy days and Mondays always get me down. That's what melancholy is. To be melancholy means that you are overcome in sorrow. You are wrapped up in sorrowful thoughts. Now this word began in medieval times and they thought that this spirit of melancholy was caused by a physical situation that was happening in the body. They believed in that time that the spleen of an individual was producing an overabundance of what they described as black bile. That sounds gross, doesn't it? And they could discover if an individual had this overabundance of black bile by inserting a knife or a needle or whatever, and they could see the evidence of this black bile. Sometimes they would be killed in warfare, and if their body was injured, they could see this black bile that was coming out. And so they were saying that people who had this mentality were literally sick in their bodies, and it affected their mind because of the overabundance of this thing in their body called black bile. Now, as they began to study this, they discovered that it wasn't black at all. That, in fact, it was a very dark blue color. And out of that reality, they stopped referring to it as the black disease, but they started calling it the blue disease. And as we have gone through history, we now call it the blues. That's the reason Elton John writes about it. And he says, I guess that's why they call it the blues. That's the reason Elvis Presley sings at Christmas time. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. So this thing that started way back in the medieval times as what they called the black bile 
Now they've changed it to a, a blue color, so to speak. And we talk about people having the blues. Somebody said that the blues or the melancholy, there's a difference between you having a melancholy moment and letting the melancholy moment have you. Now, how many of you know there's a difference? It's okay and quite normal for us occasionally to have a discouraging moment, uh, for us to be or feel melancholy. But the difference is that if we get in that melancholy spirit and stay there, then the enemy knows that he has you right where he wants you. A melancholy moment can cause us to lose the desire to continue doing something that brings purpose and productivity to our lives. Melancholy can destroy a household because it can cause a husband and wife who at one time were very much in love with one another to get melancholy about it and discouraged over the relationship. And about halfway through, really, it's about seven years. If we do the research properly, if you make it to seven years, there's a good chance that you will survive in your marriage. Most marriages will end before that. And so melancholy moments is this attitude that comes over us that says, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I have enjoyed it. It's brought some productivity to me. It has been positive in my life, this task that I've been doing, this assignment that I have, but I'm tired and I'm exhausted and all I feel like doing is just stopping and doing nothing. It's a melancholy moment. Now I want us to talk about this for a few moments today and I want us to see what causes this and then I want us to see the cure for it in the Word of God. And we will use Nehemiah chapter 4 as our reference. So first of all, let's talk about the causes of melancholy. Now look at verses 10, 11, and 12 with me one more time. It says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble <clears throat> by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild this wall. And our enemy said... They will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work that they're doing. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, not once, <clears throat> not twice, <clears throat> but ten times, they continued to say, you need to quit this nonsense and come home where you belong. So melancholy sets in. I want to give you a few reasons why melancholy can set into your life. The first one is this. Fatigue due to a loss of strength. Fatigue. Now this is very simple. I don't even need to spend a whole lot of time here. But how many of you know that there are times that we can get so tired and exhausted that we're no good to anyone? 
Because we have no energy. And that's what scripture says. It says the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Here's what that meant in this context. The people who were assigned to bring the bricks and the mortar and and the wood and the different types of materials that they would use, they they just got tired of carrying it. Their bodies just got weakened from the the usage of their muscles and their bodies. And their strength was gone. We are most vulnerable to melancholy when we are tired and exhausted. And it's interesting that in this context that the melancholy set in when the wall was halfway done. You know, I don't know if they just thought it was a good time to take a break Or if they literally just got so tired that they said, we've made it halfway, that's good enough. I don't think I can make it the other half. But the scripture tells us that the wall had been built until it was almost halfway finished. And they got tired. And they got exhausted. So fatigue due to a loss of strength can be a reason. Secondly, a frustration due to a loss of vision. And notice what they said. They said, there is too much rubbish. (laughs) Have you ever looked at your house when it needed to be cleaned? And you just kind of looked and said, there's just too much rubbish. I don't know if you've ever trained a puppy, but occasionally a puppy will go in the bathroom and get excited about the roll of toilet paper. And they start rolling it like this. And it goes, you know, not only on the floor, but they carry it down the hallway and into the... And you come home from work and you look and you just say, Louie, you were a bad boy. This is way too much rubbish. And that's what they felt. They felt like there's just too much to do. I just don't have another minute in the day to be able to do another thing because there is so much that needs to be done. And then you ask your kids to help clean up the house. And the kids make it worse than if you'd have just done it yourself. The other day, I was thinking I wanted to clean my, uh, my camper up. I, I was going to wash it down. It had gotten some mud and some bugs and things like that. And so I got this product, and I was going to wash it. And the more I washed it, the worse it got. I don't know what it was, but it was leaving a film on the camper, and it was irritating the life of me. So I washed it. I washed it again. I got a different product, and I washed it again. I went to Lowe's and got a third product and I washed it again and it's sitting in my driveway right now and my wife asked me yesterday if I was happy with the way that I looked and I said I am absolutely not happy at all. It's still dirty. But I'm going to wash it again. I can guarantee you that I will. But I almost just wanted to say forget it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do this anymore. So, there's a frustration due to a loss of vision. Let me ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer this. You don't have to even raise your hands. Have you ever felt like that there was more negative stuff in your life than there was positive? That there was more junk than there was joy? 
that there was more to do than there was that we could re- in a moment of relaxation. Frustrated by what we're seeing. How many of you know that if we spend too much time analyzing the negative, then it will be hard to see the positive that's taking place in our lives. All they could see was the rubbish. Ezra chapter 4 Verses 4 and 5 describes this scene. It says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Has, has, Has anybody ever come to you and when they were finished talking to you, It just felt like that they had only been sent there just to frustrate you and take you to a different level. You're just looking at them and saying in your mind, you're thinking like, I can't believe you said that to me. I can't believe that you can't be more supportive than that. I can't believe that you won't pitch in and help me, but instead you're making my job harder than it ought to be. We all get frustrated with things and times and people when they come into our lives and they change the positive to a negative because of their influence. So that is what they did. To frustrate means to break, to annul, to do away with, to fail, to become ineffective, made void, to split something or divide it. That's what frustration means. So let me tell you something today. Anytime that you are feeling melancholy in your life, you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it is from the devil. It is not from God. God does not put a spirit of frustration and depression and melancholy on you. It comes from the hand of the enemy. And if we know that, then how many of you know that we can have victory over the enemy because greater is he that is in us than the enemy that is in this world? God's plan is always meant to succeed. It is never meant to fail. And so what he is doing in you is he is taking what the enemy means for evil and he is turning it for good in your soul and in your spirit. The next thing that we can identify as something that brings a melancholy spirit is failure due to a loss of confidence. Has there ever been a situation where you were doing a good job Things were going well. You got your life on track. Blessings were all around you. And then all of a sudden, you had a hiccup. And you made a mistake. Or you failed in the process. And rather than just saying, well, I'll try that again. I'm going to pull myself up. And I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to make it better this time. Instead of doing that, we often allow those melancholy moments to cause us to lose our confidence and not be able to do what God has inspired us to do. Notice what they said. They said, we are not able to build a wall. They'd already built it halfway up. 
They had already done the job halfway. And now they're saying, oh, we can't even do that. We're not even able to do that. So if we're not able to do it, we should quit. So what's the thing in your life that you've been involved in it? You've been productive at it? You've done it well? And then you had one minor issue. And that one failure has just caused you to quit. Has just caused you to step back and say, I'm not cut out for this. Listen, if God says you're cut out for it, and He gives you the assignment, you better believe that you are capable and able and anointed to do it. And when you say, I can't do that, You are insulting the very God who created you for that purpose and gave you the ability and the anointing to do it. So we get frustrated by loss of confidence. When we lose our confidence, we become overwhelmed with the empty feeling that we will never succeed in the task before us. And nothing is more discouraging than feeling like a failure. Nothing. The fourth thing that we need to look at is fear due to a loss of security. And notice what they said. They said, and our adversaries said. Our adversaries said. You know, we don't even have to care about what our enemy says. We don't even have to care what the devil thinks. We only have to think about it because it doesn't matter. Because I know every day that I live, God's on my side. And if God is for me, doesn't matter who's against me. And so it doesn't matter. But we get fearful because somebody says something to us and it, it just it puts melancholy moments all over us. Well, you know, they were kind of mean when they said that. Or they shouldn't have said this. Or they shouldn't have done that. And, and you know, I just feel like it's an attack on me. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Through the years as a pastor, you'd be surprised how many people have said things to me that I didn't appreciate a whole lot. But if I'm not careful, I can start thinking that they're trying to attack me personally. And they're not really trying to attack me personally. They're just trying to get a point across to me that they want me to know. But if I took everything personally that somebody said or did to me, listen, I'd be melancholy every day of my life. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fear comes on us due to a loss of security. We not be, I want you to get this. We may not be able to isolate ourselves from the naysayers, but we can insulate ourselves by wrapping ourselves in the promises of God. Can I say that one more time? You may not be able to isolate yourself from the naysayers, But we can insulate ourselves by wrapping ourselves in the promises of God. Listen, there are negative, naysaying Nellies all over this world. And they are all around us. 
There may be even a negative Nelly or two or a doubting Dan in the congregation this morning. I'm not sure. But if you pay attention to them and just listen to what they have to say, you're going to be in trouble. But you can't isolate yourself from people like that. We are in this world. We have to live among the unregenerate people of this earth. And some of them are our family members. Can I get a witness? We can't isolate ourselves. We can't find some corner and go put our nose in it and just stand there. No, we have to interact with people. So how do you do it? You don't isolate yourself, but you insulate yourself by experiencing the Word of God and the promises of God and hanging on to it and saying, I know what God has said about this situation and I am convinced that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that He has placed within me. Don't try to isolate yourself. Just insulate yourself. With the promises of God. Okay. So we talked about a few things that can cause this melancholy moment to take place in our life. How do we cure it? Look at verses 13, 14, and 15. One more time, if you will. It says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans. Well, it's a clan. It's a family. And they had their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Amen. Who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Listen, they did not go back to the wall until they knew that the enemy knew that they were going to be victorious. When they had the promise from God, when they knew that now is the time to go, they went and the enemy backed off when they saw them preparing to go back to the wall. You know, sometimes we want to wait until the enemy is defeated. We want to wait until Sunday morning when we go to the altar and the pastor can lay his hands on us and pray for us and then we can have the victory. Let me tell you something. God can bring you the victory on Thursday afternoon at 3.29 p.m. If you're in the midst of the battle and the devil is getting ready to be defeated, you don't have to call the pastor. I don't mind if you do. But you can just say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come against you, enemy, and I declare that the promises and the word of God God are yes and amen, and I receive my victory right now in this moment. Leave me alone. I'm going back to work. I'm going back to the wall. So there's some things that we need to do to overcome melancholy moments. First of all, we need to seek out and receive holistic rest and relaxation. Notice it says in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places. Now, here's what that means. They had a place 
set apart where they could go rest and take a nap. They were in the low part. They were in open spaces down below where they were well protected by those who were guarding the area. And they could go down there and they could take a nap and they could rest and they could relax themselves. Can I just say this? And I've said it to you before. Some of you just need to take a nap. Some of you just need to lay down. Some of you just need to get a cup of coffee and go out on the deck and watch the hummingbirds hum around you. Some of you just need to rest and relax. There are occasions that I'll come in here in the sanctuary when I'm tired. It's dark. There's nobody in here. I just find me a good roll and go back there and take a snooze. It's better for you that I do that than if I pray for you. Because if I pray for you being that tired, I don't know what I'd pray for you. Sometimes I just need to take a nap. I've been caught before in my office with my chair back and my feet up on the desk with a book laying on my chest because I was reading and I just got tired. And rather than fight it, I just laid the book down and I took a little snore for a little bit. Some of you just need to rest. Some of you just need to sit down and take a moment and rest. Psalm chapter 127 verse 2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Can you picture that? Eating the bread of anxious toil. I'm going to take me another bite of anxiety here. Take me another a, a bite of, of, of worry. I'm going to worry some more. I'm just going to feed my soul on worry. I'm just going to feed my soul on anxiety. No, close your eyes and put it in the hands of the Lord. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31 says, And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And when he said to them, uh, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. That's a beautiful story because the apostles are doing what Christ had called them to do. They were, they were healing the sick. They were raising the dead. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people were getting saved and they were getting healed. And miracles were all around. And they were excited and they came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, you can't believe what's happening. And they began to tell him about all the things that were taking place. And Jesus said, go somewhere and take a nap. Go somewhere and rest yourself. Go somewhere to a private place and rest. How many of you need a nap? Can I see your hands? Good. If I asked you how many of you were saved, three hands would go up. I ask you if you need a nap, every house in the, in the building goes Every hand in the building goes up. It's true. We need a nap. That's how I've said enough about that. Secondly, we have to reorganize some things in our life. He said, I stationed the people by their clans. Now listen, I'm fully aware that there are some family members that are around you that the last thing you need to do is get along with them. Because if you do, you're going to break out into a fist fight. Can I get an amen? But there are people 
people of faith that you can get, get, get close to. And, and, and they can help you. They can strengthen you. They can give you the hope that you need by letting you know that I'm praying for you. And I believe in you. You know what happens when we get together to work on a project together? Here's what happens. Everyone has an opinion. Yesterday we went to Huber's with the senior adult group and we went to, the, to eat the fried chicken and they had ham and they had mashed potatoes and they had, uh, they had dumplings and they had, they, they had, what else they have, Jane? You had all of it, I know, green beans and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It was interesting to me that as the food started going around the table, people would say, yeah, I, I like the breast. No, I like the legs. I don't like chicken. I like ham. I don't like green beans. I don't like that kind of green beans. Those are the flat kind. I like this kind. I don't like dumplings, but I'll have some mashed potatoes. You get a group of people together, and guess what? Everyone has an opinion. I've discovered something about my wife, and it didn't take me long to discover this. We can both work together on the very same thing. And she will have an opinion about how to do it, and I'll have an opinion about how to do it. And I want to do it my way, and she wants to do it her way. We'll both, both arrive at the same place, but we would just do it differently. We don't get in an argument about it or fight about it. It's not that important. Truly, it's not. But she'll just do it differently than I will. If we're driving to some place, she will go a different route than I will go. Just to show me that she can. <laughs> opinions. People will have opinions. So if I selected three of you out of the congregation today and asked you to do something together, you know what? You'd have three opinions about how to do it. We see that as a negative thing, but you know what? I have learned that there are many times that someone else's opinion is better and more productive than mine. <laughs> Donna's pointing. Her opinion is better than mine. And so I learned something by reorganizing my thoughts and being with people who will help me through that situation. The next thing. And this is just a, a mind exercise. We have to remember that the Lord is with us. Right in the middle of all that, the writer Nehemiah says, Remember that the Lord is with you. Remember that God is with you. Can I just tell you today that some of you, after you wake up from your nap you're going to take this afternoon, you need to just take a few minutes and you just need to start remembering that God is on your side. He's been with you in the past. He is presently with you right now. And tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, He is going to be there right beside you because He is our constant companion. The next thing we've got to do is resist discouragement. What does that word resist mean? It means to push hard against. That's what it means. The scripture says, do not be afraid of them. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says, 
Submit yourselves there unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Lee, come help me preach. Here's how some of us resist the devil. Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Roll them up, roll them up, stick them in the pan. Did you ever do that with your kids when they were little? Uh, Sometimes that's the way we fight the devil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't tell us to play patty cake with the devil. It says resist him. Put some pressure on him. Push hard against him. You ready? Push hard. Which one of us is the devil? You or me? You? Then I can't be? Oh, I probably could be some days. You never know. Bible says when you resist the devil, what comes next? He will flee. Go back there and sit down and close your mouth. And don't, there you go. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you know what we do so many times? Oh, I've got a melancholy spirit on me. The devil's been after me. And the pastor said we need to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap right now. I'm just going to lay here until the devil goes away. Oh, I got so much work I got to do. My husband was not sweet to me this morning before he left for work. And, And we just... We just act crazy when it comes to the devil. But the Bible says that we should resist him. Devil, you come after me, I'm going to punch you right between the eyes. It's going to be in the spirit because I know I can't do it in the flesh. But I'm telling you, devil, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to put the hurt on you like you haven't been hurt in a long time. I'm not one bit afraid of you. I'm not one bit scared, as they used to say. I am not one bit intimidated by you because I have Jesus on my side and I'm resisting you in Jesus' name. It is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle battle where we take the Word of God and negate everything that He has to say to us because the Word of God is true. Resist. Finally, return to the work. Return to the work. That's what the Bible says they did. After they'd had this melancholy moment, they got over it, they took a nap, they came against the enemy, and then they decided it's time for us to go back to work. It's time for us to do what we need to do. I hinted at this a little bit last week. I'm going to be very direct with it this week. Because you know I love you, right? Or if you don't know that after 12 years, 
I haven't been communicating effectively. But church, it's time for us to get back to the wall. It's time for us to look around and see that over the last 12 years, we've had a lot of people leave. We've had a lot come. We've got some that are still on the fence just trying to decide what they want to do. Now, let me tell you where I am. No one ever leaves this church without me doing everything I can to rectify any issues that they might having, be having that would cause them to want to go somewhere else. I don't just ignore them. But I also know there comes a point when they're not listening. And they don't want to listen. And there are some that will go to other churches, and if they do, and they go consistently, then God bless them. I, I have no problems with that. Put my blessings upon them. Pray for them. Pray for their new pastor, whatever the case may be. But, but by far, most of them who leave, just leave. And they don't go to church anywhere. And we can't be okay with that. Some of you have family members that have attended this church and it's been months and for some of them it's been years. It's time for you to get back on the wall. It's time for me to get back on the wall. It's time for us to do what God has called us to do. We're getting ready to do this fall festival here in three weeks. I can remember a time several years ago when we would have several hundred people here on our parking lot every time we did it. We'd pray for them. We'd love on them. We'd give them candy. We'd give them beans and cornbread. Oh, hallelujah. I feel revival breaking out, don't you? Fried apple pies. I mean just loving on people, just letting them know that we care about you, we love you. I've heard several of you say in just the last few weeks, I'm really glad, Pastor, that we are doing this again this year and going full bore because I always enjoyed it and I always felt like it was very important for our church to show our community that they are loved. How many... How many did you say we have trunks? 17. 17. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Now don't dress up like devils or anything like that because they got, there's enough devil out there. Dress up like something positive and joyful and, and peaceful. We want them to come in here and not be scared of the devils. We want them, we want them to love Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. As we move forward, October, November, December, we're priming ourselves for 2023. And what I believe is going to be a year when we are on the wall building again. The Lord is dropping things into my spirit and putting them there. I, some of them I so want to share with you, but I just can't yet. I'm just waiting, God. I fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up. I'm receiving all of this, and I want to be part of what God is doing in Louisville. 
It's about more than just this church. It's about our community. It's about our city. We can't change the political outcomes in our city, but we can change the spiritual outcomes in our cities. And the first thing that I've made up my mind, I'm going to be holy. Because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. I'm remembering what the Lord told me so many years ago to share with you about being pure before we do anything else. Before we pray, before we worship, before we serve, before we do anything, you and I must be holy. Because without holiness, none of the rest of it works. You say, well, I don't want to be one of those old time holiness churches. Hey, listen. I'm not going to ask you to put your hair up on your head, women. Men, I'm not going to ask you to wear suit and tie every day of your life when you come to church. I'm not going to ask those kinds of things. Those are all man-made kind of ideas about what church ought to look like. But here's what I'm talking about. We've got to keep our soul and our spirit holy in the presence of God. <clears throat> because it is only in holy people that the Spirit of God will flow. I want to be holy. And I'm going to do what I have to do to be holy. And I'm going to ask you to take that journey with me. There's so many things that God wants us to do that will get us back to the wall. So that we can take what is halfway done and take it the rest of the way. We've got some decisions to make. We've got to decide whether or not this school back here is really something that God called us to do or not. Because here's the reason. When we get to fifth grade, we don't have any more room. We don't have any room to put sixth graders. Carolyn works in the school. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We don't have any room to put sixth graders. So what are we going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be seeking God about what do we do? Do we need to pull a trailer in here for a, for a little while and put kids in a trailer? I, you've seen those big old trailers in classrooms and things of that nature. Do we have to modify one of our buildings and knock some walls out or build some new rooms or something? You say, oh, pastor, you're scaring me now because that sounds like money to me. You better believe it takes money to do ministry, but I'm looking at a group of people that got more money than you'll ever use in your lifetime. And you know what I'm praying? I'm praying God will lay it upon some of your hearts to let go of some of it. You say, I already got my will fixed up, you know. I can't change it. Oh yeah, you can change anything. If the Lord lays upon your heart to do something financially for this church, I'm telling you, you can't stop the flow of money into your life if you are willing to release it wherever God wants you to release it. And said, so, Pastor, you don't normally preach this way. You're right, I'm getting bold. I, I'm not going to... 
Oh, I'm not going to leave a wall halfway built when I know that God has given us the resources and the people to stack brick upon brick and block upon block and see souls brought into the kingdom of God. No, I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to get lazy. I'm nowhere near retiring for those of you who may be thinking about and praying about that. I'm just now getting fired up and ready to go because I I believe God has a work for this church to do and it's going to take every last one of us to get it done. Every one of us. I want to say this as respectfully and kindly as I possibly can. But we've got to get some young blood in this church. I know we got some young bloods back here. And it's not because I disrespect the senior people that we have in our church. I went and ate fried chicken with a lot of them yesterday. Listen, some of those senior adults can eat more fried chicken than you can even dream about. They are capable. They are able. They are anointed. I thank God for them. Did I see Zane come in? Zane, I love you, brother. I was using your name in vain yesterday. We were talking about fixing beans in that pot and cornbread and all that kind of stuff. And and your name came up. He was our bean maker for a lot of years. But Zane's a good example of what I'm talking about. Zane is here, and we love Zane, and hopefully Zane's here for another 125 years. But physically, Zane is not able to do what Zane used to do. Would you agree with that, Zane? That's not disrespectful. I don't mean that at all. When we look at the next four or five years of the history of this church, there may be some in this building that won't even be here anymore. It was about two years ago that G. Paul's lovely wife, Joyce, succumbed to a virus And she's absent from her earthly body, but we all know where Joyce is today. Things like that are going to happen. And so let me just tell you, some of the rest of you, we've we've ridden on their coattails too long. They are wonderful, godly people. And we love them all. And we appreciate everything they've poured into this congregation over the last several years. But we need some to say, I want to be like Zane. I want to be like Uncle Doug. I want to be like Walter, Jack, and Peggy. I want to be like Doug and Shirley. I want to be like Ray and Hester. I want to be like Hoyt and Ima. Hoyt just turned 80. Can you believe that? Give him a good hand. I can't see back there anymore. Is that Geraldine? I want to be like Geraldine. Now, Trammell family, I'm not going to include you in this countdown because you're in a different category, okay? Although you've been here for 100 years at least. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to prepare for the future. I celebrated my dad's 10th anniversary of home going this week. It's 10 years ago that dad went to be with Jesus. 
And when he passed, something came over me. That I'm the guy now. I'm the patriarch of this family. I've got sisters and others and all that, but I'm, I'm the one in his role now. What he always did, he, he passed it on to me to do. So what am I saying? I'm saying the wall is only half built here at Spirit Life. But God has assigned us the responsibility to build it the rest of the way up. And He could just supernaturally build it, but He doesn't work that way. He calls people like you and you and you and me to build a wall. Now, some of you may be feeling a little melancholy. Pull yourself out of that. It's one thing to have melancholy every now and then. It's another thing for melancholy to have you overcome it. And let's get back on the wall. What do you say? Stand with me if you will. Grab your communion elements if you will and come on down front. We're going to have communion together.